Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. Today, I want to welcome Kathleen Solomon Garman to our show. Kathleen is the founder and CEO of Sully Garmin and Associates. She's a top expert in supply chain and logistics, and definitely someone who can help small business owners run smarter companies. Today, Kathleen and I are going to talk about the state of supply chain in 2021. And if you haven't listened to our first podcast, which we recorded last March, uh, March 2020, I highly recommend listening to it. Kathleen had some great advice, which probably saved business owners, countless hours of headaches, at least the ones who listen to it. And, uh, and if they, you know, follow what, what she said to do. So I'm excited for part two of the podcast and I want to welcome to the show, Kathleen Sullivan Garman. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Sure. So I'm sure 2020 was a very busy year for you with everything that was going on and you trying to help your clients. Let me start off by asking, how would you describe what happened to the global supply chain in 2020? Oh my goodness. Uh, in one word, I'll just say chaos. Um, it was, it was a very chaotic year, especially for e-commerce, which I know the supply chain covers more than e-commerce, but e-commerce ended up, um, being the big story of, of 2020, thanks to the pandemic, the worldwide pandemic. So, uh, it was, it was definitely unprecedented in, terms of what went on in the supply chain as a result. There was a, a, just a massive surge in online shopping. So that created a surge in demand for products, which created a surge in manufacturing, especially overseas, um, and then a surge in freight forwarding. So like dominoes, they were all just tipping each other over. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember seeing in the news how companies like FedEx and UPS and US Postal, they were talking about having holiday season like numbers in July and August, right? Where they said, you know, what what they would typically be doing around Christmas, they were doing in July and August, right? Was that a lot of that was a just a pent up demand from being shut down for a couple of months from overseas? No, I actually don't think it, well, part of it was the shutdown from overseas, but it was people stuck in their homes, you know, so the, the ones that you're talking about, the Postal Service and FedEx, DHL, most of those deliveries are to individuals, not big corporations, oh, right? Yeah, so, okay. so what they were seeing is this massive surge in online shopping and having things delivered to your home, as opposed to going out and getting the things that you needed or wanted. And, you know, I want to emphasize it wasn't just essential things that people needed. People were using online shopping to kind of fill an emotional void too. You know, people were redecorating their houses and reorganizing. And so it wasn't just people buying, you know, toilet paper and hand sanitizer. People were were genuinely doing Black Friday-like shopping all year long. And it surged all year. So, you know, places like the Postal Service and UPS and, and FedEx, they had to keep up. And it was sudden volume, sudden surge. It wasn't like they could for, have forecasted that. So, you know, you only have so many trucks on the road. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they had to they had to figure out ways to maximize it. You know, I know they took a lot of heat, especially at the end of the year. Um, but I think they did a pretty respectable job keeping Americans supplied with the things that they were buying. I 100 percent agree. And I remember seeing at the end of the year number the capacity for the big three in terms of daily packages was around 79, 80 million. 
that they could, with, with everything that they had, they could deliver 80 million packages a day. And the numbers they were getting in was something like 88 million packages a day. I mean, it's just untenable that they would be able to, you know, somehow expand the service an extra 10% to deliver that. But by the way, I just, I need to add that. So you, maybe you're saying that the vintage uh, Sony Walkman that I ordered this summer wasn't an essential uh, product. <laughs> well, you know, it depends on if you had all of those cassette tapes that you were trying to listen to at home. Then yes. it became and, an and essential. The they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I found them in the basement and I said, I've got to hear these. And so, yeah. So I have the, the Sony Walkman with, but I have about 150 cassettes. So, you know, we did the same thing with a record player. We were having a great time with records. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and let, we, we can get sidetracked on that, but dropping the needle on the vinyl, sitting down and, and opening up the album and reading the lyrics to the songs as they played. I think, yep. I think we're dating ourselves, but I think, it, I think so too. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. So I guess a follow-up question though, to the first one that I had, did the pandemic expose our country's weakness or weaknesses or dependencies on other countries for co like critical equipment, products, and services? I think it did. I'm not sure if it exposed a weakness or a dependence as much as, um, it became more transparent. There's a mm -hmm. lot of companies that rely on foreign manufacturing and foreign parts and foreign components that we don't know about. You know, there are people that cry, buy American, buy American, and they want you to buy Ford and Coca-Cola. Well, the aluminum from Coca-Cola comes from uh, China and mm -hmm. Ford relies on foreign supply chains for components for their cars. So it wasn't just a slowdown because things were slowing down in our country because things were shutting down because of COVID. It was a very interesting dependence where what happened is all of those products that we were just talking about that people were buying um, on e-commerce, well, the products had to come from somewhere, whether they were being manufactured in the US or whether they're being manufactured overseas. And because the pandemic hit Asia first, which is where the majority of these, these components come from, uh, the supply chain there got enormously disrupted back in fall of 2019 and then winter of 2020. So everything shifted as a result. All of those things that we're talking about that get brought over to America are brought over on container ships. And these ships are not small. They, they actually are mega ships now. And they were sitting at ports empty because ports were shut down. And so then when it was time to get them, them refilled, there was a big surge to get them filled. And then maybe their, their shipping lane was diverted. And those are super carefully planned, those shipping lanes. So they would be going on a different route, which caused different delays. So something that maybe would usually take 16 days uh, to get from Asia to here was taking 45 days. So everything shifted as a result of what happened with the pandemic long before it hit the United States. So these US companies that I'm talking about, you know, they had orders in, say Coca-Cola has an order in for aluminum. Then all of a sudden they can't get their aluminum because everything is shut down in China. So then they finally start to get their aluminum to start producing again. And then everything got shut down here. Yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, it was almost a, a roller coaster of stop, go, stop, go, stop, go for, manufacturing and for, you know, e-commerce merchants. Um, even Amazon, which, you know, 
killed it last year, right? They were they they really had to step up, but they put limitations on what they would allow their merchants to sell for, for fulfilled by Amazon because they had to prioritize in their fulfillment centers what they were going to ship. So they were shipping cleaning supplies and hand sanitizer and and toilet paper and you know essential items, food items, medication, and so some of the more you know luxury and optional goods they were not shipping. So companies that had been relying on Amazon, it's called FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, companies that were even small businesses that had sent all of their things into FBA um, couldn't get their, their sales fulfilled. So they had to recall and pull those items back away from Amazon. And then they had to find a warehouse, a fulfillment warehouse stateside to send their stuff from. And then they had to switch how their orders were flowing. So instead of being fulfilled by Amazon, they were fulfilled by a merchant. You know, people think Amazon's the big gorilla and everyone's think, like, buy local, don't buy Amazon. But mm. a lot of the Amazon sellers are little local companies. Right. A lot of them are small businesses. And so although a lot of them did very well last year, they had to make a big shift in order to do well and in order to stay on top of it um, be, as a result of, of everything being so disrupted. The, the ripple effect is incredible. When, when you think about it. And I know for a lot of the, the listeners of our podcast, they're owners of small and mid-sized companies. It's hard to see that far down the supply chain. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a, a friend who owns a, a paint studio and, you know, she sources from a company in Indiana but that company in Indiana, you know, they get the unique colors that she has, that she uses, they get them from Japan. And all of a sudden the company calls and says, oh, by the way, we're out of three of your colors. And there wasn't any kind of backup. You know, there wasn't a contingency plan. What if we can't get these colors? So you are a top expert in supply chain logistics. And I know a lot of people come to you and they ask you questions and, uh, you know, they seek out your advice. What are you telling uh, your one, your clients, and two, your uh, the people who come and ask you? What are you telling them about a 2021 and what the world of supply chain is going to look like? Well, you know, I have to say, I was really impressed with the consumer goods industry last year. They rallied as much as they could, and they pivoted and they changed gears, like the the person you're talking about, maybe they just switched to a different color. Um, I was really impressed with how fast everybody reacted to the disruption and tried to stay open and tried to keep things moving, which really says a lot about our country and about our economy and even about our supply chain processes that people were able to do that. So as they were rallying and as they were pivoting, I think a lot of them were coming up with a plan B. So now this year for 2021, a lot of them are looking at, all right, now I have a plan A, now I have a plan B. And because of last year, I developed a plan C. I think it's pretty cool to see the reaction of what these small businesses did in order to stay afloat and stay alive because they saw their worst case scenario come to pass last year. And the ones that made it, made it because they figured out a way to, to pivot and make it work inside of that. So for 2021, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of people feeling that they're walking a tightrope. We're not done yet just because it was New Year's Eve didn't mean that, that the pandemic is over and that everything's up and running. Um, things are still shut down and things are still difficult for, for a lot of companies. So I think there's a lot of companies standing there kind of holding on 
you know, by their fingernails and just hoping that, that things will ease. Right. But while they're doing that, it's giving them time to plan. It's giving them time to set up infrastructure, time to, to create environments where they're less likely to step into hot lava. Yeah, which is not fun, I think. I, I haven't done it personally, but I'm, I'm sure it's not, it's not fun to step in hot lava. <laughs> All right. So, so, you know, you mentioned this year, it's almost, it's what everything we hear is like, it's the, it's a tale of two halves, right? So it's really, you know, the pandemic is, is still here, but the vaccine is being distributed and businesses are in lockdown, uh, but there will be plans to reopen. So really what you're talking about, even though supply chains have stabilized a little bit, businesses probably need a 90-day plan. Right. right. And and I would say right now, because because we're still in the middle of it and it's not over, you know, patience is the number one thing that a company can have right now. Patience and budgeting, you know, use this time where things are a little bit weird and uncertain to shore things up. Use it as a time to, you know, figure out your financing, get your, get your uh, PPP loan in place, you know, try and get everything you can set up so that when everything starts to flow again, you can adjust, you know, companies that, that were thriving on the e-commerce boom last year might see it flatten out and they might be stuck with some inventory. So they got to figure out ways they're going to move that, right? Are you going to sell it in a different marketplace? Are you going to put it on sale? Uh, how, how do you maintain that, that Black Friday volume from last year going into this year? So, you know, I always say like the sales and marketing and PR departments are the departments that can drive a company forward in terms of revenue, yeah. but the operations department can break a company. So it's very important that both hands are talking to each other, that the operations department are talking to the sales department. The ops people are saying, hey, we have an excess of this one SKU. And then the sales and marketing department can maybe push that SKU. Or maybe you're seeing in your direct-to-consumer chain that a certain color of your product is really popular. And so then you encourage your, your wholesale B2B customers to buy a different color so that mm. you're kind of saving that one that's super popular. So it's really important for the operations teams and the sales and marketing teams to work together right now and communicate. A lot of times in a company, those teams are so disparate and separate. Um, and I think that that tends to create bottlenecks down the line because the operations team needs to know what's happening in sales in order to prepare for it. Do you think that that, that relationship between those groups has gotten better? It must have gotten better right, with the pandemic, because it's kind of, it, it's forced, it's, it, it forced companies to strip down those silos, right? I, I mean, in, in a pandemic, it needs to be all hands on deck and everybody's rowing in the same direction. So operations meet sales, meet marketing. You know, we yeah. need to start, we need to start getting on the same page here about how we operate as efficiently as possible as a company. Well, it's interesting when everybody went remote, um, the big fear was that teams were not going to be able to work together, that there wasn't going to be collaboration. There wasn't that, you know, getting coffee in the morning, chatting about your day. Um, and there was going to be a real disconnect in teams. And I think that some of these departments, like the ones we're talking about, that didn't used to have a lot of contact with each other, when everything became remote, they were doing all company meetings or doing a lot on Slack. And I think there was more communication across departments that used to not see each other in the building. Yeah. So I, I think it, it, it made, a, made a difference there in terms of how people connected. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. I definitely, I, I know I saw that in the companies that I spoke to. So I want to bring up the, I, I mentioned our first podcast that we did in March of last year. You told our listeners, play chess, not checkers. And I love that strategy. So can you do me a favor for the people who didn't listen to it? Can you share that strategy again with our listeners? Well, it's all about being a few steps ahead of what you're seeing right this minute. Uh, you have to think five steps ahead because if you're playing checkers, you are reactive to what's happening in the market. You are going to do everything for the short term and you're not going to do anything to store up your, shore up your company for the long term. So when you're doing forecasting, planning inventory, plan for unexpected events, you know, a surge in buyers, which happened last year, which is a great thing, a drop off of orders, a bad thing, plan for that, know what you're going to do if those things happen. Uh, I have a sister that is pretty high up at SAP. And when everything happened last year, she said they had a whole plan in place that was that they had to dust off and implement. So every company, I don't care how small you are, how big you are, needs to have that plan. And I don't care how dusty it gets. Um, as long as you have the plan, you're playing chestnut checkers because you're ready for the move. Yeah. So every, everything has to be, everything has to be thought through. Uh, you know, you can't you can't say the sky is falling and decide that everything's terrible and react that way. And you can't ride the wave of exhilaration of everything going well and assume it's always going to be that way. You have to think five steps ahead. Every action has a reaction. If I do this five steps down the line, what is going to be the reaction of what? what's the ripple effect of what I did? Yeah. And, and it's that's f fantastic advice. It reminds me that uh, the, there was a hit show last year. It was called The Queen's Gambit. I don't know if you watched that. It was all about chess, a young woman who played chess, and it was phenomenal. And apparently what happened was there was a huge spike in the sale of chess sets around the country because of the show. So, And that reminded me of the, the, uh, how you used that analogy in our first podcast. And, and it's interesting, too, because our listeners were probably saying that sounds a little bit uh, about like what Brian describes as the what if game, play the what if game. You know, what if this happened? How would we respond? What if that happened? How would we respond? And, and so I always say, well, take the most important people in your business and then maybe even talk to your customers and your suppliers and the key people in your ecosystem and say, let's just play this what if game and say, how would we all respond? Because it's going to affect all of us. What if there's an additional lockdown? What if the coronavirus actually gets worse in February and March? What if these happens? Or what if there are these opportunities? And you kind of take a 360 degree view of your business and have answers to all those questions. And that's the report I think you're talking about. So you write everything down. And then if something does happen, you say, oh, hold on, don't panic. We have the answer to this. If there's a plan in place, like we're talking about, but but a specific plan, not just a, if this happens, what are we going to do? Um, so you say, okay, I'm going to plan for unexpected events in inventory, or I'm going to plan for if, if I have low inventory, I'm going to pay a bit more to refill my warehouse at a higher price. And I'm okay for that. And I've budgeted for that. Um, you know, negotiate certain rates for shipping or storage based on a variety of factors. You know, things right. were moving through warehouses so fast last year that they were actually saving money in storage. What are you going to do with that money? What are you going to do with the money that you saved? Going into this year, maybe you say, all right, if we are able to save money in storage by having a better return rate and move things faster, where can we move that money in our budget to a place that needs it 
for a what if scenario. So kind of have a little slush fund for your what if scenario based on things that have happened that created a change. That's a great point. And it's, it's funny. I, I don't think I've ever mentioned that in the what if game, but that slush fund is critical, you know, because how do you pay for the unexpected? So that's a, that's a great point. Like one other thing I want to bring up from the last podcast, which I think is, is something that we, and, and I said this then, you know, it's something that we should all write down and put up on a wall somewhere. But you talked about, I think the six C's during a crisis, right? Which again, it was applicable in 2020. It's still applicable in 2021. So can you share the, what, what are the six C's uh, that people uh, have to deal with in a crisis or that they should use in a crisis? Sure. So I'll run through the six really quickly and then I'll describe them. So we've got compassion, control, compromise, cash, community, and communicate. So the first one, compassion. Start your conversation with how are you doing? You know, strong relationships with your vendors, your suppliers, that will almost always endure a crisis because they're willing to work with you. The person who's most compassionate is going to get to the front of the line when it's time to start working together, when things are stressful. You know, if you're calling up your warehouse and doing nothing but yell at them and somebody else is calling them and going, hey, how's everybody down there doing? I can guarantee you they're going to take that other person's phone call before they take yours. So that compassion is super critical. We are all in this together. We, as we talked about earlier, we're a global economy. It doesn't matter if you're working from Vietnam or China or France or here, we're all in this together. So you got to act like it. Yeah. Um, control, control your fear, you know, take a deep breath, get your head on straight. Don't worry about something twice, have a plan in place for how your company will navigate the current crisis. Um, you know, I always say, you know, he who has a spreadsheet has control. I'm that way. When, when something feels stressful to me, I open up a spreadsheet and start running numbers because once you have looked at that, whether it's good or bad numbers, you are in control. So it's, it's critical to be able to feel control in order to act in a, in a better way rather than acting out of chaos. Um, my third C is compromise. Every business right now is being impacted by a domino effect. Learn the art of compromising. It's better to have something instead of nothing. If you're talking to your manufacturer and they don't have enough materials to get your product all the way done and get your purchase order all the way done, ask them if they get half your purchase order done. And maybe the other half in six weeks, you're, you're better compromising than holding someone's feet to the fire and getting nothing. So then my next one, of course, is cash. Cash is always king in a crisis or in a non-crisis. You know, spend it wisely, have resources to get more, but also know where your limits are. Uh, don't put yourself out on a limb so far that if the limb breaks, you're going to fall. You know, there's, I always say that, that startup founders are somewhat of gamblers, but they're not the straight up gamblers. They're the people who are okay with a calculated risk. Oh, I'll play with this $100 at the casino, but when it's gone, I'm going home. Those are the startup founders. They're not the ones who are playing with $10,000 and pushing all of their chips into the center of the table on a really risky bet. Um, The people who are successful understand that they need to be careful about their risk and they need to calculate it. So cash is king, but but have control over it. Um, Third C is community. You know, we will only get through this and anything else if we do it as a community. We need to work together. You know, I, I see a lot of people um, last year when they were when they were stuck at home putting signs out by their doorbell for UPS and FedEx and Postal Service saying thank you. People were putting little baskets of water and snacks for those delivery guys. 
because they were working really hard and people recognized, hey, we're all in this together. That sense of community um, is one of the beautiful things that came out of that pandemic is, yeah. you know, people, people helping each other. And the same goes for a business, right? Work together. It falls into that compromise too, you know, nobody's just doing this for themselves. If your manufacturer is successful and your freight forward is successful and you're successful and your customer is successful, everybody comes out a winner right. and everyone has, has more cash going back to our other C. So, yeah. and then, you know, the, I guess the most important one um, is the final C and that's communicate, make sure to stay connected to every single company in your ecosystem from the, the tiniest person all the way up to, to the big relationships make sure that you're staying in touch with your, your customers, make sure you're staying, staying in touch with your buyers, staying in touch with where you get your, uh, all of your components, make sure you're just checking in. It doesn't have to be to send someone a PO. It could just be giving someone a call or an email saying, just checking in, want to see how things are going, know what's going on with your suppliers. If you're talking to your warehouse and they're located in Mexico and they know that they're about to have some big issue where they're going to have a shutdown and lose some of their employees, if you're in contact with them, they're going to tell you and you're going to find out first mm. rather than getting the information in an email and having it shock you. So communicating to everybody is going to make all the difference. You know, me versus you in a business relationship never, ever works. Uh, you know, that that is right there required listening for every small, mid-size, even large size company. You know, the, the six C's of what to do in a crisis. And I can see why you're in such high demand, Kathleen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It, it is. It's fantastic advice. And uh, I appreciate you sharing all of it with our listeners. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably write up a summary of our blog, of our uh, conversation today and kind of use it as a teaser for people to listen to this podcast, because it goes back to what I was saying. The people who listen to people like you, and then execute on the advice that you give are measurably more successful or put themselves in a position to be measurably more successful than the people who don't because we're still in uncharted waters, right? And we don't know what February or March or April hold for our economy and our businesses. So take time to do things right. Follow the six C's that you talk about in a crisis and, uh, and stay connected to everybody in your ecosystem. You know, they'll look out for you. I love, love all of that advice. And I want to thank you for uh, joining us on a podcast today on the Small Business Edge podcast. Uh, this has been fantastic. I do want to also thank our sponsor, Pitney Bowes Financial Services, for being the sponsor and for all that you do on behalf of small and mid-sized companies. So keep up the good work. Uh, lastly, I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank everybody who listens to our podcast, who sends us questions and gives us feedback, both good and, you know, instructional. And uh, but please keep listening. Keep sending us those emails and the questions. You know, you can reach me at Brian at smallbusinessedge.com. And we look forward to talking to you more again next week with another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. Until then, be safe, be well, and carpe diem. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.